So Philippians 4, verses 14 to 23. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we are grateful uh, for so much. We are grateful for uh, the opportunity to be here for our musicians, uh, for Martha and her service, uh, for, uh, for all of the other uh, ways in which so many people work to make this happen. Uh, and ultimately, we are thankful, of course, to you. We are thankful um, for RUF, but for what RUF, why RUF is here, because you are good, because of your grace and your mercy in Jesus. And we, Father, we want to hear about that. Uh, we want to hear from you. And so we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would be here and uh, open our, our ears to hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want you to imagine that uh, I get a chance to meet your parents. And you, uh, you bring your parents up to meet me for the first time. And you introduce them to me and, and we start chatting. And the conversation you know, is fairly straightforward. And uh, it goes something like this maybe. Maybe I ask your dad, you know, did you come to Baylor also? And your dad might say, yes, he did. And so I might ask him, well, are you from Texas originally? And let's say your dad says, nope, I grew up in wherever, Omaha, Nebraska. So I follow that up with, well, then how did you get to Baylor from Omaha, Nebraska, of all places? And your dad might say, well, uh, uh, my aunt was from Texas, and she went to Baylor, and so I grew up knowing about Baylor, and I came to check it out, and I loved it. And uh, so next I ask him, well, what kind of work do you do back, back in Omaha? And your dad says, well, I'm, I'm an attorney there. And I say, oh, that's, that's really neat. And then I ask him, so how much money did you make last year doing that? I think you could imagine that the, that the conversation has taken a little bit of a turn all of a sudden, right? Uh, I have introduced a fair amount of awkwardness into the situation by asking about how much money he makes. I promise I won't do that. I'm not, wouldn't do that if I met your parents. But why is that so awkward? Because it would be. It would be fabulously awkward. But why? Well, you might say, well, that's just a really personal question. Well, true, but weren't the first several questions? Those are personal questions. Where'd you grow up and what? But what about it? 
There's something, you know, I think we would all agree that there's something unique about that. When we start getting to the area of money, uh, and really any of our, of our resources that are, that are precious to us, but maybe especially our money, then when we start getting into that arena, uh, we take those things very personally. And, and certainly what we do with our money and our resources, that's, that's our business, right? We don't, we don't like for people to, uh, to be involved in that, maybe to know about it, and we certainly don't want to be, um, be judged about that, right? Um, and we, uh, but we sure do seem uh, sort of defensive about it, I would think. So that really sort of begs the question, what do we do with our stuff? What do you do with the money you make or the resources that you have? What, what do you do with it? What should you do with it? Is there a should? And the answer, I think, is uh, from, from the Bible is, is definitely yes. Uh, there are some things that you should do with it. Uh, and the Bible actually has quite a lot to say about money and our stuff. Uh, but this passage talks a little bit about giving it away. And that's what we're going to focus in on tonight. We're going to talk about our, our stuff, our money, our resources, and particularly about giving it away. If you've been with us, you know that we've been studying through Philippians. Now we've, we've finally come to the end. And it's a letter that Paul has written to this church that he planted in Philippi. And he's writing it from prison in Rome, most likely. And it's a letter, it's a letter that's filled with joy. He writes about the joy that he has in Christ, and he writes to these Philippians telling them about the joy that they can have, that, that uh, he calls them to in Christ. And so our theme every week has been real joy in the midst of real life. And tonight, what I want you to see is that Paul essentially says that there's real joy in giving. Real joy in giving. And so we're going to look at just two things tonight. We're going to look pretty simply at first, we're going to talk about giving, verses 14 through 16. And secondly, we're going to talk about receiving, 17 through 23. So first, giving, verses 14 to 16. All right, first, let's kind of recap just what's going on here uh, and what, what Paul's talking about. Again, he's writing from prison. And one of the main reasons that he's writing this church is essentially to tell them thank you uh, because they have... They have sent him supplies, sent him gifts. So uh, he's uh, most likely under house arrest, uh, which, which he would have done uh, basically on his own dime. Uh, you, if, if, you wanted, uh, if you wanted to you know, basically make it in prison, then you paid for yourself or your relatives or somebody paid for you. If you wanted to eat, you needed money. And so it seems that, uh, or it's actually clear from the letter, that... These Philippians have heard about Paul being in prison. It's like six, seven hundred miles away. And they have sent him money and gifts. It's not exactly clear what it is, but they've sent one of their uh, members. And they've sent him with stuff and resources. And they've, they've sent him uh, to Paul. So that Paul can be well supplied. Because they heard of his suffering. And basically, this is a, a part of his letter is a thank you note. And that's what he's doing. He's picking up right here very specifically to say thank you. And I want you to notice in verse 14 that Paul says, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And that word that, that we translate as share, it's one that's actually popped up a whole lot throughout the letter. 
The Greek word is, uh, you, you probably have heard it, koinonia. It's the word a lot of times we translate as fellowship. Uh, you know, if you've been with us, you know that Paul has talked a lot about how Christians need to be united. Uh, Christians have to be together. You have to fellowship, be, uh, be in union with one another. And this is the same word that he uses here. And, he, and so here he's applying it to what those Philippians did for him. He's saying, you, you fellowshiped with me in my suffering. You shared, you, you were united with my suffering, my trouble. And so what he's doing is he's basically saying thank you because you have, he's basically saying you have showed me real fellowship. You've shared my, my suffering, my hard times. You've joined with me in that. These Philippians have looked and they've said, they've said if, if Paul's hurting, then we're hurting too. They, they loved Paul so much. They were so tied to Paul that if he was going to suffer, they were going to join in it with him. They, were, they basically bound up their happiness in his happiness. And Paul's saying, look, that's a great example of what fellowship, what real unity with believers looks like. It looks like sharing people's burdens, joining with them in their struggles and their suffering, and specifically using your resources for their sake. Yeah, they've, they've identified with Paul and his troubles. Um, a lot of you probably, maybe most of you know that uh, our middle child, Davis, uh, what, Davis is five, uh, Davis was born deaf. Uh, he hears just fine now, um, thank God, and I mean that quite literally, because he has a, uh, he has a hearing aid in one ear, and he has a cochlear implant uh, on his other ear. If you're not familiar what a cochlear implant is, it, is a, uh, it looks like basically a really big hearing aid that fits over his ear, and then it's got a little wire that comes off of it, uh, and it attaches to a magnet, which attaches to his head. He's got a magnet inside his head, which is kind of creepy. But... So he's got this on his head. Uh, and somebody, I don't know, a couple of few weeks ago sent me a picture of a, uh, of a, of a dad and his daughter... And the daughter has a cochlear implant, right? One of these things. And the focus of the picture is actually the dad. They both have their heads turned. You can't see their faces. So you're seeing the side of their head, their ear. And the daughter has her implant on. And the dad has a shaved head, like to the skin. And he has a tattoo of a cochlear implant. The big thing, like tattoo, permanent, not coming off. The thing around his ear, the wire, and then, you know, the big circle magnet, he got it tattooed on his head. And they sent it to me and, you know, basically said, so are you, you going to be doing that? Probably not. But I want you to actually text him back and said that, I don't know for what, but that will be a sermon illustration sometime soon. <laughs> because think about how amazing that is. So look, it's not one of those things, I mean, if you've seen Davis, you know, it's not one of those things that like you, if you immediately see him, you think, oh, bless his heart, right? It's really not all that noticeable, but, but she, you know, Davis and this little girl, uh, this little girl is going to go through life having to, uh, having to put up with a lot of questions, you know, like, what's that thing on your head? 
uh, having to, you know, endure a lot of people looking at her and maybe whispering about it. What is that? And so this dad basically looked at that and he identified with his daughter and he said, I'm going to share that with you. I don't have to, but I'm going to enter into your trouble and I'm going to bear that burden right alongside you. You get the picture. You can imagine, uh, you know, people are going to ask him about it a lot. And you can imagine the fellowship that that's going to create. As she grows up and, and realizes what her dad really did for her. Right? It's a beautiful thing. There's part of me that wonders if eventually the technology gets so small that she doesn't have it anymore and he still will, but you know. (laughs) That's why I'm not doing it. But you get the picture. Uh, What her dad's done for. And, And Paul basically thinks exactly the same thing. Paul says that what you have done for me, sharing my burden like that, it was, he says, it was kindness to me. Right? You can imagine how encouraging it would have been to have these folks be willing to give up their money and their resources because he was suffering to make themselves hurt and suffer because they found their joy wrapped up in in his. And and that's what they did. They gave. They gave generously. And what we can tell from from a couple other letters in the Bible, this church actually was particularly poor. So it's not like they're like, yeah, you know, it came before their missions board. Yeah, we should write Paul a check and we'll send it. They, and they didn't have any extra. So it caused them to suffer. They, they felt Paul's suffering too. They, they shared his burden and they gave. So what does that look like for us? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do as we think about applying this is we need to ask ourselves, do we even see how other people around us are hurting, do we even stop to notice it? Do we even stop to, to think about, uh, stop to listen to people, and, and even, even evaluate if and, and maybe even where they're, they're struggling, what someone's burdens are, to even begin to meet them, to share them? And so then, if, even if we do that, when we do that, I think very simply, believers are called, we're called to give up our resources to share people's burdens. Just to put it, put it pretty bluntly. We're called to give up our resources to share people's burdens. And money, look, money's obviously the easiest one to point to. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have lots of money. But what do you do with your money? You know, maybe right now you're thinking, like, I don't have any hardly. But, but you're going to. You, you probably have more than you think, but one day you're going to. Have you ever thought about giving your money away to the degree that you actually feel its impact for the sake of somebody else? To share somebody else's burden. To, to relieve the difficulty, the strain that someone else is under. Um... I've actually seen it, uh, Amy and I have seen it happen in a, in a 
previous church of ours, a, uh, one of the families in our church, this was years and years ago, again, not here, um, the dad lost his job, and he couldn't find a job that would adequately you know, uh, cover for his family, and eventually he had to come to the church for help. And the church rallied around him. And look, I'm here to tell you, it was beautiful. He didn't want to do it. Nobody wants to have to ask for help. But, but the church was glad to do it. It was just, it was, it was administered to us and everyone else just to watch everyone else do this. To come together and say, if you're hurting, we're hurting. We have, and you don't, here. You know, that might be a more extreme case, but what about more mundane things, right? If money's not your resource, you know, college student, maybe you think, I don't have a lot of money. Well, what has God given you? Maybe you've got, maybe you have some time, or you, you do, you have some time. Uh, maybe it looks like uh, when, you're, when your friend gets broken up with and they're heartbroken, it looks like you giving up some of your time and, and sharing that burden with them. And, and you spend that hour or two hours, whatever, that you are going to work out or you are going to study or you are going to go on your date and, and you share their burden. I don't know, maybe it looks like uh, the friend that you have whose family life back home is just a wreck. And they hate going back home for the holiday or the weekend or whatever. And if you, you can tell it's appropriate, and you, you go with them. And it's going to be awkward, it's not going to be a lot of fun, but you, you share that burden with them. Maybe it looks like giving your energy to tutor kids that need it or befriend that person that needs a friend that's lonely. Maybe it looks like giving a ride to the person that doesn't have one. Who knows? But do you think about giving? All right, so we, we see that we're, we're called, in a sense, to give. Secondly, tonight, and lastly, I want you to see, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about receiving. Verses 17 to 23. Because interestingly enough, just as much as this, uh, this passage talks about uh, giving, it almost seems like Paul is saying that the giver will actually benefit more than the, one, than the recipient of the gift. He almost seems to be saying that, that giving is more beneficial to the giver than the original receiver. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the receiving end of things, not of the original gift, but what the giver receives. You see, uh, let's see, where is it? Verse, verse 17, Paul says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The Greek word that Paul, the Greek words that he's using there, they come distinctly from the, the commercial realm, from uh, sort of the business world of the day. Uh, if, I think if Paul were writing it today, it might sound something like this. Not that I seek your investment, but I seek the interest that your investment is earning for your account. You get the point. Paul, Paul is saying that he wants us to see, he wants the Philippians to see that as much as he appreciates their giving, he's actually thinking about how this is going to be a blessing to them. How our giving actually is more of a blessing to, to us. He says, in giving we receive. And so let's take a, we're sort of zero in on that. 
Look, one of the reasons that bearing the burdens of other people is beneficial to us, to those that share in the burdens, is because it pleases God. Did you see that in the passage? In verse 18, Paul Paul calls their gift to him a, quote, fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. All right, so what's that all about? Well, it it points back to, to Old Testament sacrifice, uh, and, and particularly, at least most commentators sort of highlight, uh, particularly uh, with Noah's sacrifice. Genesis, what is it, 8. Where you see Noah, as soon as he gets off the ark, right, if you're not familiar with the story, right, God flooded the world, he saved Noah and his family, he's on this boat for like a year. And then when he gets off, the first thing that Noah does is he sacrifices to God. And it, it describes the, uh, the, the burnt sacrifice going up and being an aroma that was pleasing to God. Now, why did Noah do that? Noah did that. He didn't do that to, uh, to get God to love him. He didn't do that to earn God's favor. He did it because God loved him, because he saved him. He did it to say thank you. He did it because he, was, because he loved God. And it made God happy. That his sacrifice made God happy. And Paul says that when you and I give our resources to other people, when we share other people's burdens, that it makes him happy. That's an amazing thing. It makes God happy. But that begs the question, I think, does for me. Why does giving, why does helping someone else make God happy? Do you think about that? Why would me helping you make God happy? I think there's a couple of uh, thoughts that kind of go hand in hand. One of, the, one of the reasons is that because to show love to God's people is to show love to God. Why? Because he loves his people so much. And I think it's pretty easy to illustrate. We've got three kids. If you're kind, if you show kindness to my kids, I take that personally. Right? The flip side would obviously be true. If you were cruel to my children... Obviously, I would take that very personally. That's an offense against me. And if you're kind to my children, that's a blessing to me. It makes me happy, right? Why? Because I love my children, and I identify with them. I find sort of my joy bound up in theirs, and if they're happy, then I'm happy. But it also pleases God, and it shows Him thankfulness for this other reason that really goes hand in hand. I want you to think about this. Um, Because it's evidence of you becoming what he's built you to be. That when you share the burdens of someone else, when you enter into their pain and you give, it makes God happy because it's it's evidence of you becoming what he built you to be. And what did he build you to be? He built you to be like him. And what does he do? He, not narcissistically, he loves himself and he loves others. Right? It's what we're, it's the summation of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And it's evidence of the fact that you are, you're growing, that you're becoming, you're maturing, you're becoming like him. And it thrills him. I heard a pastor, uh, a man named Ray Cortese, tell this uh, brief story about his daughter. 
He said uh, he, he needed to run to the grocery store, and he takes his little girl. She was like nine, ten, something like that. Takes her with him. And uh, they pick out their few things, and he puts them on the you know, conveyor belt. And she puts that little divider thing down. And then she puts up a couple of groceries, the things that she had picked out. And he looks down, and, and he jokingly says, so are our groceries not good enough for you? And she says, no, Dad. It's for the food pantry. It's, it's for the homeless people our church and he says she pulled out her money that she saves from her allowance or whatever and and she paid for those groceries and she gave it to the homeless people and he said what what, how do you think that made me feel as a father right he said to see my little girl beginning to grow up and beginning to, to actually love other people, to reach outside of herself, to give of herself and enter into someone else's burden. He said, it made me very happy. It was like a, a sweet smell to me. And that's the picture. Our giving, sharing burdens of other people because we love God and we love them, it makes God happy. All right, so besides that, what, is the, what else does the giver receive? Verse 19, <clears throat> verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All right, so what is that? What is it that accrues to our account besides the fact that we make God happy? He says he'll meet, he'll supply uh, every need. Now look, let's be very clear to say, Notice what it says. It does not say that if you give your money away, if you give your time away, that God will bless you with more money or a nice car or nice things. It does not say that because, this is almost fair to say, he probably won't. He might. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Right? That whole health and wealth gospel, forget that. It says that he'll supply every need. What do you need more than anything else? You need him. And that's what Paul's talking about. Like, yes, I do think that there's some application that God is going to provide for you financially and and physically, but you have to be aware that it may not be in the way that you expect it. It It might not look like what you want. But what he's talking about is that he is going to give you, in a sense, as we give our things away, as we bear burdens with other people, um, he's going to give us more and more of what we really need, which is him. He gives us himself. He he blesses us in every every spiritual way. And look, Paul knows it's something way better than more money or a nicer car. He says he he gives away, uh, he'll supply your every need in in accordance uh, with the riches of his glory. Right, if a billionaire said, I'm going to give you something and it will be in accord to how wealthy I am, that's good news, right? Like, all right. So what of, what of the God of the universe? He says, I will bless you according to my riches and glory. The picture is infinite blessing. Infinite blessing. And it's the blessing of himself that he'll cause you to know him. He'll cause you to grow in his love uh, your love for him, his providence for you more and more. So we give not to get more stuff, but we give to get him. And again, not, 
It's not a transaction. Give your stuff away, then God will love you. That's not the picture. But we give because of the greatness of God, because we love Him and others, and there's blessing. Let me give you this illustration. This is Charles Spurgeon's illustration, so you can trust it's probably pretty good. Uh, He tells this sort of story, fable, whatever, about a king. He says, uh, there's this king, and he has a servant that comes before him, one of his peasants, comes in one day, and uh, he basically tells the king, he says, uh, King, I, I, I truly appreciate that you let me farm your land, that you give me a plot of land to farm, that you provide for me, that you uh, protect, you know, you protect the kingdom. And he said, I'm bringing you the very best carrot that I've grown, the very best one, and I want you to have it. And the king is truly touched. And he takes the carrot and he, uh, and he, says, uh, he says, thanks, and he gives this servant uh, this, this huge plot of land And he says, I want you to have this plot of land and I want you to farm it and enjoy it and go for it. And so the king had an official that was watching all this go down and he sort of did the math and he thought to himself, well, if he'll do that for a carrot, what if I bring him something really awesome? And so this official the next day shows up with this beautiful horse. And he says, king, I breed horses and this is the best horse that I've ever bred and I want you to have it. And the king, who could discern this guy's intentions, he takes the horse and he says thanks. And he dismisses the official. And he can, he can tell that this official is perplexed by this. And so he explains it to him. And he says, that servant yesterday, he gave me that carrot because he loved me. You gave yourself a horse. And that's it. That's the difference. That's the difference. And I just want to end with this, with this, uh, this idea. How do you do that, though? What is it that would make you love the king? What is it that would, that would make us want to make him happy in the first place? What is it that would make us want to be like him? And the answer is... Is, is by receiving one more thing. Receiving the benediction from verse 23. Look at it. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Look, the only way that you will ever love the king is to know that he has loved you first. That he has lavished his love on you. Think about John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he what? gave he gave why because he loves you and he loves you he loves us while we were sinners and what did he do in his love he he identified with sinners he bound his happiness up in ours and he came and he he shared no he didn't share our burden did he He took it. He took it all. He took the burden of our sin and our guilt and our shame on himself. And the good news is that it's free to us. It's free to take. And that's what the Philippians needed to hear. right? That's what they needed to have left ringing in their ears at the end of this letter was God's grace. And that's what you and I need to hear. That's what, that's what I want ringing in your ears 
for the rest of the summer, for the rest of your life. God's grace, that He loves you for free. That He shows troubled, suffering, needy sinners enormous grace. And because of that, out of that, we can actually give. And even more, you and I can actually find real joy in the midst of real life. And that's good news. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for good news. Thank you for the good news that you love us in spite of our sin. Thank you for identifying with us and taking our burdens. Lord, would you enable us, motivate us to do that with others and to give. Thank you for this semester and this year. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.